0: friends, welcome to the FemiO podcast. I'm your host, Femi Olaf yoye Amagbeni, speaker, writer, and self-love activist passionate about supporting black women on our self-love journeys. I do this by sharing lessons and observations from my life in a way that is transparent, honest, and sometimes truly comical in the hopes that it encourages you on your path as well. All right, let's get into the episode. friends, welcome to another episode of the FemiO podcast. I'm your host, Femi olaf yoye and long time no talk, huh? Yeah, it's been a bit. I have had to miss a couple of installments of the FemiO podcast. Don't worry, you're getting all 12 episodes. Like, we're not shortchanging you here. But I had to miss a couple of the due dates because of personal and national news, living in America right now is terrible and very difficult. And so, yeah, we was just struggling a little bit. We was just, you know, trying to get it together, trying to find rest, also trying to make sure that the way that I present in my work to y'all is as authentic as possible, as real as possible. And so we're actually, we're, you know, in the process. We're always in process. This is part of the process of learning yourself and loving yourself is figuring out who you are, how you want to share it, how you want to love people, how you want to work in your life, like all of these things. So that's what we've been doing, but here we are. We're back for this next episode. And for this one, I wanted to talk about something fun and light. We're doing a little bit of an escapism moment here and also something that I could talk about in my fucking sleep because it is foundational to my person. And what are we discussing today? The OC. We're gonna talk about the OC, the television show. Yep, aired from 2003 to 2007 on Fox. If you don't know, you need to ask somebody because that shit was powerful. It's still powerful. Like people are still discovering it, loving it. It was just a fucking good show. It was just so good. It's literally one of my favorite shows. I would even call it one of the building blocks to who I am today. And I'll explain a little bit more about that. I'll explain why we're talking about it. I also was hesitant to bring it up because like, you know, my business is all about like supporting black women and like encouraging black women and all that stuff. And I don't know, it was just weird. I felt like maybe it wasn't right to talk about something that was so white (laughs) because the OC is a white show. There were plenty of racist moments. I think maybe I can count on one hand how many times I saw a black person just in the scene over the course of four seasons. So it's a very white show. And so I was hesitant about talking about it. But ultimately, this is a podcast. Yes, it supports black women. And also it's me sharing my story, right? Like this is me talking about the things that I care about the things that I have learned about myself, like all of those things. So I wanted to talk about The O.C. because like I said, it's a building block. It's foundational to who I am. Like if you want to know anything about me, watch The Fucking O.C. So should we start with a synopsis or should we start with why this is so important to me? Maybe we'll start with why it's so important to me so y'all can stick with me during the synopsis. So The O.C., like I mentioned, is one of my favorite shows, is a building block to my personality because of a number of factors. So I think it's very specific to the time that it came out. So it came out aired summer 2003, like they dropped the first three episodes. I think it was like August 2003. Then it started in the regular season in September, ran through 2007. Those are the like almost exact dates that I was in high school. Okay, like freshman year to senior year. That was baby femme. Also, I'm sure you guys know this, but in case you don't, I went to a very affluent school in Southern California called La Jolla High. You guys can know the name, right? If you can't, I'll edit it out later. Anyway, I went to La Jolla High again, during the years of 2003, 2007. So this was a time, I don't know if you guys remember, but like this was a time it was right before the housing crisis, the recession of 2008, right? So like in the years leading up to recessions, usually it is a time of not like booming wealth, but more like the celebration of wealth, right? So it's like, uh, if you remember like in the 80s, like greed is good. Like that kind of energy resurfaced in those years before that the recession in 2008, where it seemed like not only like with this show, The O.C., but like just in ads, in like books, in like media, everywhere it was celebrating excess and opulence and living above your means or at least pretending, you know what I mean? And so... That was kind of the energy that I was surrounded by, like just in the zeitgeist, right? And then you talk about going to La Jolla High, which God bless it. God fucking bless it. It was a beautiful time. It was also insane. Like I said, affluent white neighborhood. I had friends who got BMWs for their 16th birthday. MTV actually came and filmed my super sweet 16 at my high school twice twice. While I was there. And I think we're the only school that got two. I want to say that that's true. And also, it came about because MTV came to scout for Laguna Beach, actually. Like, the OC had been running, had been popular. They were like, all right, like, we need to create the real OC. And so they came to La Jolla High to scout. I remember talking to the scouts, which I'm like, that must have not been... Like, that couldn't have been above board. I was, like, 15 years old filling out, like, a survey about my high school. Anyway, I don't know. But uh, they caught us after school. They became a scout for Laguna Beach. But when they got to my school, they realized, oh, actually, this would be better suited for another ridiculous show we have in mind, which was My Super Sweet 16. So that's the environment that I grew up in. Like, I literally, like, went to school there. And so then you talk about, like, the emergence of the OC. And I feel like it was so powerful for me in particular, and even the people that I went to school with. Like I know my friends and I'm sure like other people who were at La Jolla High or like in affluent white neighborhoods at the time have varying degrees of relation to the OC, but we all saw ourselves a little bit reflected in it. Like We saw on the OC, you know, Marissa Cooper, the main it girl or whatever, carrying Chanel purses to school. We saw that in real life. We saw girls on the OC wearing $200 jeans to school. We saw that in real life. Like there was a mirroring for me personally in the OC that felt comforting. Like it was like, okay, I'm watching these kids. And they were, I think, honestly, I think the kids in the OC were a year above us. They graduated 2006. And obviously, 07. So it was just a little bit, it was like close enough and far enough away, right? Like that's the connection there. So, yeah, I feel like the OC is comforting to me because I tell people all the time if you want to watch a documentary about my high school, just watch the OC. Obviously, well, I was going to say nobody got shot, but I don't know if that's actually true, girl. Anyway, allegedly, we don't know. La Jolla, don't come sue me. I might blank out the name of the high school. But yeah, it was just a comforting. It was relatable. It was like I could see myself and my own experience in this television show. I also love The O.C. because to me, The O.C. is like a tragedy. It's like a Shakespearean tragedy from like start to finish, not even just the plot lines of it, but like the way the show developed itself. So The O.C. is like A super hit show that only had four seasons, really three and a half if we're about to talk about it. okay. the first season comes out, blows everybody out of the water, is huge. It's like massive phenomenon, just like takes over everything. It's a huge success. Second season comes out and it's good. It's not as good as the first season, but that's okay. We're working things out. It's a good show still. The third season is where we take a turn, because I think Josh Schwartz, the creator, has said that there was new leadership at Fox, at the network, switching over from season two to season three. The new leadership wanted to see more soapy storylines. They wanted to see more adult storylines. And so the tone of the show changes. It becomes, yeah, more melodramatic. So there's a podcast called Welcome to the OC Bitches, hosted by Melinda Clark, who played Julie Cooper and Rachel Bilson, who played Summer on the OC. And they talk about how in season three, all of a sudden there were like all of these villains and like everything is just a little bit like drippy and like whatever, because they're trying to meet this demand from the exec, like not even, I don't even know if it was necessarily from like the audience saying, we want more of this, but they are trying to meet the exec's demands, management's demands, whatever, of a more soapy storyline of more adult storylines. And so it kind of gets away from itself. I believe Josh Schwartz has said that the OC became what it made fun of in the first two seasons. And so that was kind of the downturn And then the fourth season, I feel like so many things happened. So like, again, Josh Schwartz, I believe, has said that the fourth season was where the OC kind of got back to itself, got back to its like quirky, uh, still a drama, but a little bit lighter, fun self. However, spoiler alert, if you have not (laughs) seen this shit, I would say, first of all, what are you doing? It's been 20 years, girl. Go watch But yeah, spoiler alert, actually, I really would say, like, do not continue. Skip over this next part if you haven't seen it, because it's really important that you see it in real time if you plan on watching it. Anyway, so third season. Yeah, the fourth season, like they try to get back to themselves, try to be quirky. But at the end of the third season, one of the main characters dies, like dies, like Game of Thrones level not coming back, like this is real, she's gone. And I just feel like it was too much to overcome. Like the loss of that main character was too much to overcome to try to rebuild the OC back into what it was in the first two seasons in the fourth season. And so that's why like I feel like the OC is like a Shakespearean tragedy because it's like this brilliant star, like literally supernova that just burned so bright so quickly and then was gone, finished. And I don't know, I think it also kind of adds to the beauty of the show. Like, I think that that's part of it. The fact that we didn't get it for nine seasons like One Tree Hill, which is my other favorite show, aka the other side of my personality. It's literally just the OC and One Tree Hill. Those are the two foundational pieces of my personality. That's it. But yeah, One Tree Hill got nine seasons. The OC got four. You know, like, it's just like, it's just interesting. So I love the OC uh, for that reason. I just think it's like so fascinating. Also, like, and then yes, there is tragedy involved, like with the characters. Anyway, we'll get into it. So let me give you a synopsis of the OC if you by some chance don't know what the fuck I'm talking about and haven't known this whole time. So the OC is about a kid named Ryan Atwood. He is from the wrong side of the tracks, okay? But to him, he's just from a side of the tracks. Like, he has no idea about the other side of the tracks. He's just growing up trying to live his life. Um, He's got an older brother named Trey. He's growing up with an alcoholic mother and a dad, I think, who's in jail. And so, like, the mom has, like, abusive boyfriends that come through. Like, it's just a mess. We open. I won't. I promise not to give you the whole show scene by scene. I'm gonna try to stick to that promise. We open with Ryan and Trey trying to steal a car. Really, it's Trey's idea. Ryan just going along with it. It's his older brother. He's trying to be cool, like whatever. So they try to steal this car. It doesn't work because Trey is a fuck up. Like one thing you need to know about Trey, he can't get his life together for shit. And we will talk, we will return to that too, because Welcome to the OC Bitches, that podcast I mentioned had Logan Marshall Green, the actor who plays Trey, on to talk about Trey. And I think he said some really interesting things and I can't wait to share them with you. So anyway, Trey and Ryan try to steal a car. It doesn't go well. The police catch them. Ryan ends up in juvie. Trey, I think is older. So he's like in prison and Sandy Cohen, who is a lawyer pro bono for the state. I don't know how that works, but he's like working for free. He ends up being assigned to Ryan's case. He, like, you know, tries to help him, blah, 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 whatever. At some point, like, Ryan is released. They try to take, Sandy tries to drop off Ryan at home. Turns out Ryan's family has left him. Like, mom bailed. And so Sandy is seeing all this. He's like, I'm not about to let this kid just, like, stay on the streets. I'm going to take him home with me, which is a crazy thing to do. (laughs) This kid is 16. Like, it's not like he's, like, eight or something. Like, this is a teenager, Full stop. And so Sandy brings Ryan home. And where Sandy brings Ryan home to is the OC. See? See what they did there? Sandy brings Ryan to his house. It is this like gorgeous McMansion, as they call them, overlooking the water. There's an infinity pool, which at the time was so huge. And the reason why they're so rich, because if you'll remember, I said Sandy works for free, is because Kirsten, Sandy's wife, is the daughter of Caleb Nickel, who essentially runs Newport, like he's like the real estate mogul in Newport. I feel like he was kind of like a Donald Trump character, but like classier, but like not classier because he's also still kind of a thug. (laughs) So Kirsten is that man's daughter. They run the Newport group. She works for him as well, for her father as well. And so they got money. So they got money. And so that's why Sandy can work for free. They also have... One son named Seth Cohen, played by Adam Brody, who is the best person, maybe. I don't know. That person and character, fantastic. Also, maybe kind of the same person. So Seth Cohen, we're supposed to believe, is a nerd and is unattractive and doesn't get girls and doesn't have friends or whatever. We are supposed to believe that about this man. But what the problem is, is that they hired Adam Brody to play, who is the most He's so cute, he's so charming, he's so funny. I'm like, this is the one, not the one, but this is a huge plot flaw, plot hole, y'all get it. In the series, if we're to believe that Adam Brody would go somewhere and not be well-liked, that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, it's fine, we went with it. We're like, okay, so it's the OC, so I guess like this super hot, really funny kid doesn't have any friends or girls after him, cool. Sandy brings Ryan into the home. Kirsten has her reservations, of course, because um, you're bringing this fucking felon into my house. Sandy, what the fuck? He's near my son. What's going to happen there? Like, I don't know. So anyway, season one, that is the central like conflict, I guess, or the central like what's going to happen, right? Also, at some point, Ryan goes outside to have a smoke, which is hilarious. I feel like he never smoked again in the entire series, but he was smoking And he meets Marissa Cooper, who is the next door neighbor, who is the princess of Newport, if you will. She is like most popular girl in school. She literally, I think her character is supposed to be described as like impossibly beautiful, which honestly like is true. Like growing up watching the show, like this is one of the points that made me think that I was unbeautiful. Like, obviously, in addition to the whole just, like, being in a racist society. But, you know, when I say, like, oh, all my favorite movies, all my favorite television shows, like, did not feature a woman that looked like me, but rather, like, highlighted woman who looked opposite for me and said, that is the most beautiful person. That's who you need to look like if you want to be worthy, if you want to be beautiful, if you want to be seen, any of those things. So Marissa Cooper, played by Misha Barton, was that person. I was obsessed with her. I wanted to be, oh, my God. I wanted to look like her so fucking bad. And it was just not in my body. Like it just wasn't. And now I'm quite grateful for what I look like. I'm quite grateful for my body. The way that it shows up is different. It's nice. It's cute. But at the time, you know, that's, that was it. That's who you wanted to look like. And that happened for a lot of people. Like she became the it girl (laughs) for like everyone uh, for a while. Like she was like a muse for Marc Jacobs. She had like a sponsorship or something from Chanel. Like the girl was, she was working. I think even Mindy, I'm calling her Mindy. Like I know her. Wow. Melinda Clark and Rachel Bilson said that a lot of the designer stuff like on the show at first was just Misha's shit that people sent her, that brands sent her. Like she was kind of the reason why they could, you know, keep up the affluence or whatever the labels on the show until like people saw the show itself was a huge success and like whatever. But it was like Misha first because people loved her. So anyway, Ryan comes out for a smoke, meets Marissa Cooper. And that becomes like, it's like instant chemistry, instant electricity. They have a thing, which is also interesting, like in their relationship, because I'm like, I think maybe they would be the definition of star crossed lovers. But it was never like right. I don't think that even me as a super fan of the show, I don't root for Ryan and Marissa to like be together. And that's me talking as as an adult. Obviously, as a child, I was like, they're in love. They need to get married and have children and be together forever. That's what I felt when I was 14. And that's fine because I was 14. My brain wasn't fully developed yet. As an adult, I'm rewatching the show, as I have many times. I'm sure you could have guessed. And I don't root for them as a couple. I root for them as like friends, as like soulmates. Like they're like people that need to be in each other's lives. And her loss, like it makes sense to me why it was destabilizing for Ryan. Like, you know, like it was just like all these things wrapped up. But of course, like when you're teenagers as they were, in the show, you're not really assessing like, oh, like this is the kind of relationship that's like somewhere between like friends and lovers and like soulmate connection and like all that stuff. You're not assessing that. You're just like, hey, they're hot, they're attracted to me, I'm attracted to them, like, let's be together. And so they had their little on and off. They're like our little on and off team throughout the series until she passed away. And season three just had the introduction of so many shit characters. Fucking Johnny Harper. Okay. We'll get to it. I'm sorry. So anyway, Ryan goes downstairs, meets Marissa Cooper. That's the introduction of them. And so season one is essentially about, yeah, Ryan getting accustomed, but not even that, getting comfortable, trying to figure out his way in this new world. And also even like watching Seth do it, because Seth grew up in the world, right? Like he's been there, but he's always been an outsider. And I think like, that's one of the central themes of the OC. I was like, as I was preparing lightly for this episode, girl, I'm just sitting here talking like, but I briefly took some notes last night about central themes. And I think one of the themes of the OC is the idea of belonging. Like who belongs? How do you feel like you belong? And the phenomenon of belonging when you don't feel like you fit. So first we see like Ryan, right? It's like he's picked up from the wrong side of the tracks, dropped into this world of affluence and opulence, and he doesn't feel like he belongs, right? He's dropped into this family where he doesn't feel like he belongs. But I also love like some of the things, I feel like they played a lot with like hair color in the OC. I don't know, like maybe that's just me reading into things. But I absolutely love the fact that, and it was, again, it's all white people, so we're just dealing with blondes and brunettes. But I absolutely love the fact that, like, Sandy Cohen is brunette. Kirsten is blonde. Their son, Seth, is brunette. And Ryan is blonde. And so, like, the addition of Ryan into their family like was kind of a completion. Like it was like, no, this is your son. And also it's cute because like Ryan's blonde hair corresponds to Kirsten's blonde hair. And arguably like they were the ones with the initially most strained relationship, right? Like Kirsten didn't want him in the house. And by the end of season one, like she's like sobbing because he has to leave. Well, we can talk about it later. But like, you know, like I think it was really beautiful to even use that tiny little detail to show, like, this kid belongs here, right? We're dealing with, like, Ryan trying to figure out his own sense of belonging in this new space, given his history and past and who he is. Then there's Seth, who, like I said, has grown up in this space, never felt like he belonged, has been an outsider the whole time, has been ostracized, has been bullied, has been forgotten, has been unseen. Then we have Marissa, who also grew up in this world and also seems to belong. Like she's like, again, the it girl, she's the most popular girl in school. She's social chair. She's all of these things, but within herself has never felt like, like she fits there. And honestly, later in season three, she mentioned something about how, you know, like somebody she was talking to said that she, that everyone has a purpose. Everyone has like something to do or whatever. And Marissa like very sadly and like kind of offhandedly is just like, I don't know, like maybe not, like maybe some people just get lost. Girl, (laughs) girl, like Miss Marissa, I think always had like, like that hollowness of like, I don't really know who I am. I have all of these outside external accolades to tell me who I am. I'm beautiful. I'm rich. I'm wearing the best clothes, like whatever, but I don't feel like I know who I am or where I fit. I don't know I just think that that's like a really beautiful it's just really interesting the way that they explored the theme of belonging like through these characters we continue because I'm trying to get through the synopsis so uh season one again Ryan is there he's making friends with Seth he brings Seth into you know kind of the popular group because like Marissa's best friend, Summer, is initially attracted to Ryan. So she invites him to parties and like whatever. And that's how Seth comes along, like whatever. So Ryan becomes Seth's brother and also is the reason why Seth begins to have friends and even gets a girlfriend. Like he and Summer work out and that's cute. And so then, but then at the end of season one, it's a problem because Ryan and Marissa had broken up because of some crazy person named Oliver, which is hilarious, like I could have a whole podcast episode on Oliver alone. One of the best characters in the whole show, but also infuriating. Ryan and Marissa break up. Just at that moment, Ryan's old flame from Chino, (laughs) where he's from, which they pretend is like Timbuktu, bitch. They pretend Chino is just so far away and so ugly. Why would anybody want to go there? It is a shadowy place in the Lion King the elephant graveyard of Southern California. So Teresa, Ryan's little boothang thing from Chino comes back or whatever. They have their little fling because Ryan's rebounding from Marissa. And then she gets pregnant and we think it's Ryan's. So at the end of season one, again, if you haven't watched the show, I please go watch it. Don't listen to this shit because like, I don't want to spoil it for you. I don't want to, you know, anyway, At the end of season one, Ryan goes back to Chino to be with Teresa and raise this baby. And so that's devastating, right? Because then it's like, okay, this man came and like changed everybody's lives in Newport. and Now he's going and now this poor kid has to like become a father and he's trying to do the right thing, but he doesn't want to go and be with Teresa at all. And she knows and it's a mess. And this brings me to the second theme I think that the OC explores, which is like, the concept of destiny and fate and like choosing. So this idea, especially that they talked about at the end of the second episode, like, okay, the whole thing, right, is centered on like, Ryan gets this big break. Like, what are the odds that a fucking poor kid from Chino headed down the wrong path, headed to prison by all accounts, gets this huge break to be plucked out of the miry clay and brought into the King's house, okay? Like he was he was literally, because it's Caleb Nichols' house and Caleb Nichols is the King of Newport. He literally got the biggest break, right? And so it's this idea, like they were talking about in season one, when all this stuff is happening with, with Teresa. Ooh, girl, I'm gonna stop getting him confused. I know that. All this stuff with Teresa, like, Ryan's point is like, I knew it was too good to be true. This kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. My family's luck, right? Like my family's lineage, like this is the generational curse that I'm under. Like I am bound to be a young father with not enough money trying to raise my kid in the hood. So it's that idea that they explore like between like, again, destiny, fate, luck, choosing like how these things interplay and ultimately season two we come back I think Ryan is back by the end of the first episode it was sad like Seth sailed away because Ryan was gone effectively breaking up with Summer Marissa's drinking again girl everybody was in shambles at the end of the first season beginning of second season Ryan's back (laughs) because Teresa lies to him, tells him that she lost the baby because you can tell he's unhappy and he that he doesn't want to be there. And so she sets him free. And so he goes back and like hijinks ensue. I don't know how to <laughs> describe the second season. Oh, but mm, I do know how to describe the second season because that's when Trey comes back. Girl, so y'all remember Trey, Ryan's brother. Ryan's good for nothing brother is what we'll fucking call him. And I don't like to talk about people like that, but Trey... Mm. So anyway, Trey gets out of prison and I think it's really interesting what they did with this character as well. So what they kind of do with Trey is that they mirror everything that happened with Ryan in the first season. But it's different because it's Trey and Trey's a different person, even though he's from the same family. God bless. So they do the same thing where like, you know, Trey comes out of prison. He's supposed to go stay with friends. He goes to see the friend like. Ryan and Sandy go pick him up, drop him off at where the friends are supposed to be. The friends don't answer. Nobody's home. So Ryan is the one that's like, hey man, like why don't you come stay with us? And let me say also, Ryan was skeptical the entire time. Ryan was like, okay, my brother's coming out of prison. I'm not really trying to have him around me and my new situation because I can't trust him. I know that motherfucker. I've been knowing him for 16 years now. I don't trust him around my shit. So let me just... Pick him up, drop him off where he's supposed to be, and we can be done. And everybody around Ryan is like, no, he's your brother. You should bring him in. Give him another chance. What's the worst that could happen? We have the resources. Nobody listened to Ryan. And Ryan himself starts not listening to Ryan. And Ryan gaslights himself and it's like, okay, well, maybe it'll be okay. Trey, come on. Come with us. So they drive back to the Cohen house again similarly to the first season the way that Ryan was introduced to the Cohen house Trey comes in sees the wealth sees the opulence but it's different because so in my sense of watching the show the way that Ryan came into the house was like oh my god like I can't believe what I have landed in I'm just in wonder I am in gratitude I don't want to touch anything. I don't want to mess anything up. Let me just sit quietly on the edge of this bed in the pool house and mind my business because I don't want to screw anything up. The way that Trey walks in though, like again, this is my sense of his energy, but Trey walks in, same wonder, same like magical, like opulence, like whatever, but his energy to me read a little bit more like, what can I take? Like he read a little bit more like, okay, I'm scanning the house, I'm casing it. And he didn't, he doesn't ever actually steal directly from the comments, he does worse. But you know what I mean? Like that, that difference in energy between Ryan and Trey and how they both got the same intro to this new world. But like one of them has this mindset of like scarcity I wouldn't even say scarcity. I mean, it is scarcity, but both of them really had a scarcity mindset. But one of them approaches it as like, again, like what can I take? What can I like with greed, with like grubby little hands where the other one was like, just open, just like, hey, I just want to be here and be cool. I don't want no problems. So I think that like speaks to a difference between Trey and Ryan, girl. And basically season two is them trying to get Trey on his feet trey keeps fucking up he tries to steal something from an auction they have to get it back he's lying to people he steals shit like he's just and he's gaslighting ryan the whole time ryan is trying to say i don't trust this man around marissa and ryan got back together and marissa's like no i'm gonna take care of him like you'll see like he's cool like blah blah because marissa is like marissa thinks that trey is like ryan And Ryan's trying to say, I told you, this man is not me. Like, that's somebody else. Nobody listens to Ryan. It ends with, season two, essentially ends with Trey sexually assaulting Marissa on the beach. Girl, while Ryan is out of town, Ryan comes back after too many episodes. Honestly, the time between Trey sexually assaulting her and the time between when he gets his comeuppance and leaves is too long for me, I hate it. I'm just like, I want Ryan to find out immediately and beat his ass. It takes a long time, but Ryan eventually finds out and goes to fuck his brother up. I don't know what was gonna happen in that fight, but it was murderous. It was not like your normal like brotherly spit spout, spat, spat. (laughs) Girl words, it was not a brotherly spat. Ryan came to fuck his shit up. And when Trey realized that, I think Trey was ready to kill Ryan, for real. Like, I do not doubt that at all. And so um, they're in this fight. Marissa gets there, finds a gun that is Trey's, and shoots Trey. Girl, maybe y'all have seen the SNL skit. and mm, what you say? Um, starts to play. And that's how they end the, sec- the second season. And that was crazy to me rewatching, because I was like, y'all really ended it with her shooting Trey Trey collapses and that's it. That's where y'all ended the season. That was bold as hell. Anyway, so talking about the idea of destiny, fate, all of these things, like Trey, when he's fucking up, like throughout the second season, I believe he said something to Ryan at one point about like getting more of dad's bad luck, like in the lineage, like this idea again, that like Ryan is blessed, Ryan got this big break, right? And Trey is somehow cursed with this bad luck more so than Ryan is. In the episode where Logan Marshall Green, the actor that plays Trey, was on the Welcome to the OC Bitches podcast, somebody asked him about Trey, like where does Trey end up? What happens to Trey? Like after, because basically what happens is Trey gets shot, he wakes up, he's swayed to say that Ryan shot him by Julie Cooper because she's the worst. Well, she's just, she's the villain, whatever. But then she, he changes his story because Marissa goes to see him. and It's like, you can't do this to your brother. Like, you just can't. And so, like, he changes the story. Then he leaves town who and goes somewhere else or whatever. Then he ends up in Vegas, whatever. So Logan Marshall Green has been asked, like, what happens to Trey? What do you think? Like, where does he go? And Logan Marshall Green, I love his answer because he's like, honestly, like, I think that Trey has a short shelf life. Like, I don't think that Trey ever turns it around. I think that he goes to Vegas. I think he gets in even more over his head. And instead of being like petty theft and owing little people here, like he starts owing some really dangerous people and ends up being killed. Like, I don't think that Trey lives long. I think that he just like could not escape himself. And he also talks about, like, some of the fights that Trey got into, like, over the course of season two. And he's like, you know, like, the thing about Trey is that, like, he kind of loves the chaos. Like, he will defend his brother. He will fight his brother both. But he just loves a fight. He loves the mess. He, like, gets a little glint in his eye when, like, things are going wrong. That's a nature thing. That's just kind of his bend. And... I just feel like that's so interesting when we talk about like Dusty and fate because also I think Rachel Bilson in that episode mentioned like, you know, maybe Trey was just unlucky. Maybe he just had less luck than Ryan, like whatever. And I had a thought, I always have thoughts, and I have started recording them like little short snippets of podcast episodes that I feel like I need to be on because I got things to say and I think it's important. But like, I don't really think that it's, I mean, you can say that it's luck, but like the way that Ryan was lucky because the Coens like took him in or whatever, like the Coens were Ryan's big break, right? In my mind, Ryan was Trey's big break. Like Trey had the exact same opportunity essentially that Ryan did. Like he also got brought into the Cohen household, not to stay forever, but like to give him a leg up, you know, like he also had this connection to this world through his little brother and like could have made different choices in order to (laughs) turn shit around. And that's kind of what Logan Marshall Green said. He said he was dealt a bad hand and also didn't know how to play the cards that he had. And I was also thinking about like, just the idea of like trauma. So like Ryan and Trey, right, both grew up in the same household, abusive parents, an alcoholic mother, probably an alcoholic father too, absentee father, grew up with like boyfriend, father and boyfriends, like beating up their mom, like having to see that. So they grew up in this like very broken, very traumatic space. And I feel like the when you grow up in a home like that, the way that trauma affects the children is gonna be different. Like even though it's the same trauma, like the children are different and also like their ages are different. So like as the older sibling, Trey probably shielded Ryan from a lot of things because he was older. You know what I mean? Like he was kind of the barrier between the parents and Ryan because he was the first child. And not only that, but like, you got to think about like how old these kids literally are. Like, let's say if Trey is six and Ryan is three, like that's a huge difference in developmental space in developmental stages right like trey is going to remember a lot more than ryan will and so like you got to think about that too in terms of how does this affect the person that they both become like how does this affect how they approach things and not to say like that's no excuse for trey's behavior at all like because again you're dealt the cards that you're dealt and you need to learn how to play them at some point we become adults And we realize, hey, these are the patterns in my life. I don't like them. I would like to change them in any respect that I can. And you make choices to do that. Trey instead chose to rely on or blame his family for his own shortcomings, right? And then also like even seeing Ryan was like, oh, like I got more of dad's bad luck, that kind of thing. So I don't know, I thought that was like really interesting the way that the OC explored the idea of destiny and fate and the choices that you make and how you become, because also like, I want to say spoiler alert, but like Ryan becomes like a successful architect. He does change. He breaks the generational curse. Oh, amen. Amen. He breaks the generational curse in his family because of the choices that he made. And yeah, he didn't make all the right choices. I mean, he was still coming from Chino. He's still from the hood. Um, He still punched a Dean or two in his life, but he still made it. Anyway, season three, we gonna get through it. Season three, Marissa has shot Trey. (laughs) Remember, this is the season that's messed up. Nobody likes it. I think Melinda Cooper or Melinda Clark likes it. Josh Schwartz doesn't like it. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. So Marissa shoots Trey. The school board is mad and wants her kicked out of the school. They do it, they send her to the public school, to Newport Union, which I guess is supposed to be the hood. And that's rude, because I went to a public school in a nice neighborhood, and it's not the hood. It's almost exactly like the private school, but y'all, whatever, I get it. So they send Marissa to Newport Union. That's where she meets my least favorite character, maybe of all time, Johnny Harper. Fuck that kid, fuck that kid. Oh, he's just like a little whiny bitch. The whole, like, he's just a whiny bitch. That's it. Anyway, meet Johnny Harper. Johnny, like, they become friends. She's trying to make friends at her new school. The trauma of the shooting drives a wedge between Ryan and Marissa because they're finding they can't talk about it. Ryan doesn't know how to just show up and listen. All Ryan knows how, how to do is fix. That's his thing. He's a, he's, um, He's got a massive savior complex. Also, too, I think that's interesting in their relationship, going back to why I'm like, they were never endgame. I think a lot of their bonding is like trauma bonding, like because Marissa's is an alcoholic, just like his mom. And he has to save the day for her. Like he had to save his mom like a couple times, I'm sure throughout his childhood. So I feel like it's like they're together. They're comfortable with each other because of the trauma that they've both been through anyway. So, oh yeah, Ryan has a savior complex. So he doesn't know how to just listen to Marissa. Marissa is ask, doesn't know how to ask for him to just listen. Doesn't know how to say like, you don't have to fix this. Like, let's just be with each other. Both of them need therapy. Everybody needs therapy. Nobody's going to therapy. So there is a wedge driven between the two of them because they don't know how to talk to each other about this thing. It's like all falling apart, whatever. Johnny tries to slip in with his bitch ass. Falls in love with Marissa. Ryan is trying to say, hey, this kid's in love with you. Marissa's like, no, he's just my friend. Where have we heard that before? Oliver. She doesn't pay attention. She doesn't learn her lessons. It all ends with Johnny writes Marissa this note saying that he's in love with her or whatever. She tells him like, no, I'm not in love with you. He goes and drinks a shit ton of tequila. I think climbs a rock, like a big cliff. Slips off of it and dies. He dies. Okay. More trauma for these poor two. Like literally just, ooh, mess. So that drives an even bigger wedge between the two of them because Ryan was never really chill with Johnny. Marissa accuses Ryan of being glad that he's gone, which is some fucking crazy ass shit. Anyway, uh, because of that, they end up, I think Marissa and Ryan like end up just like breaking up. Like they just can't get through it. Marissa starts dating Volchek, who was like Johnny Harper's like surf nemesis or something. I'm telling you, like Johnny Harper brought nothing but pain upon us all, upon us all. Anyway, Marissa starts dating Volchek because Volchek was close enough to Johnny in like an enemy kind of way. And so they're like trying to grieve together, but Volchek is a mess and violent and crazy. And girl, Cam DeGanget, that's who played him. Also known as what, James from the Twilight series? Girl, anyway. So they start dating, it's a mess. He cheats on her at her prom, which is classic. So she's like, whatever. They graduate, everything is cool, everything is cute. She decides that she doesn't wanna go to college even though everybody got into the best colleges. Ryan got into Berkeley, she got into Berkeley. Uh, Summer got into Brown. Seth was on some fuck shit. We don't have time to go into that. (laughs) Seth was on some fuck shit. But he ends up getting into RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. And so, She decides, Marissa decides, you know what? I'm going to defer college for a year. I'm going to go meet up with my dad, my terrible father, literally the worst father maybe ever in television. Well, one of them anyway, because I just thought about Dan Scott from Wintry Hill. The worst father ever. But even Dan had a redemption. Anyway, Jimmy is Marissa's father. He left her years ago (laughs) because he can't handle being a dad. And so she's like, I'm going to go be with my dad on a boat in Greece, I think. Um, I'm going to defer college for a year. (sighs) Ryan is driving her to the airport. Volchek has been drinking and is like, I need to talk to her. I need to talk to her. I got to apologize. She's got to accept my apology. (sighs) Again, therapy will take care of that for you because you will realize you can't control other people. If someone doesn't accept your apology, you move. That's it. Whatever. So Volchek has been drinking and is chasing them down in their car. Ryan's brand new, beautiful Jeep that his mom just bought him. Ugh. He looks so hot driving that car. Volchek runs them off the road. They get into a huge car accident. Marissa dies. Marissa dies, friends. She dies. In Ryan's arms, no less. And that's crazy because like I said, like they could not have been together. I don't think they should have ended up together, but they needed to be in each other's lives forever. They like needed to have that like friendship connection, like whatever. So the fact that she dies is like, like the world, I don't even know how to describe the level of destabilization that happens for Ryan, the level of trauma in that moment. So yeah, she dies and that's the end of the third season. They were wild with these endings. They were so reckless and I still cry every time I watch that scene, every time because Ryan didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve that. Oh, girl. So then the fourth season, like I said, they tried to like work it out, but it was just too much to come back from. You cannot lose Marissa Cooper and think y'all still got a show. I don't. mm -mm. And there's like, there's drama and tea about like why Misha Barton left the show. She said some shit earlier this year. Misha said that she was bullied on set by a lot of the men on the show in particular cast and crew and producers, all the things. She said she had a really bad time. It was a really bad set for her own mental health. She had to leave. At the time that she left, the story to me was that she felt like she was too big for her britches. I hate that phrase, but like essentially that like, she thought that she could get some like big acting roles, you know, if she left the OC and then she left and then didn't get the roles. So, but then she's like now trying to blame it on like whatever the environment was bad. I can't tell a person about their own experience, but I do think that it's hilarious that every person, every guest, crew member, whatever, that goes on the Welcome to the OC Bitches podcast to talk about the episode with Melinda Clark and Rachel Bilson, Talks about how beautiful the set was, how fun it was, how it was like one of the best sets they've ever worked on, how everyone was so nice. Literally every single person says that and not on purpose, not coerced. It just comes out. So I'm like, I don't know, it's something, it's something messy. Hopefully Misha will one day be on the podcast and clear shit up. But anyway, Marissa left, Misha Barton left. Marissa died season four. Like I said, it was just too much to come back from. They tried to make things happen. Oh, sorry. I just can't even. Anyway, season four, Marissa has died. Obviously it opens with Ryan murderous. Like Ryan has left the Cohen household. I don't even know where he's at. He's going to get beat up every day to feel something I think. He and Julie Cooper, Marissa's mom, are teamed up on a secret mission to find Volchek and kill him, girl, (laughs) mess. Sandy Cohen is like representing Volchek or something. I don't know. Anyway, it turns out that Sandy literally takes Ryan directly to Volchek because he's like, you know, I can't stop you, go for it. If you wanna murder this man and fuck up your whole life, do it. And Ryan's like, cool. (laughs) So he goes in the hotel room, finds Volchek, Beats him up a little bit, but then they have a talk and Ryan essentially is like, I'm not going to do you any fucking favors. You have to live with what you did. So take him to jail. And so that was the end of that. And so then like Ryan, uh, well, I think more things happen, but like, you know, it's like Ryan's grieving process. I can't really tell you about the fourth season. I don't really be checking for it like that. But anyway, it was a couple episodes. I tried to give Ryan another love interest that I did not agree with. And so I will not speak of it a huge earthquake comes and demolishes the Cohen home and they move to Berkeley. They move back to Berkeley, which is the start of where Kirsten and Sandy fell in love and went to college. And, um, that's it (laughs) right. Or Seth and summer get married. I don't, it's just like mess. Like it was just like, whatever. So that is a synopsis of the OC. That's the whole fucking story. I'm like, I don't even know if I have other things to say, If you haven't watched the show, like you should watch it. It's so fun. It's so cute. It's so like, and it's such like a time capsule, you know, like it was just such a specific moment. Oh, I loved it. Anyway, girl, I've been talking for a really long time. Now I'm hot. So I'm gonna go. Thank you for listening to me rant about the OC and I love y'all. We gonna talk again soon. Bye. Hey, thank you for listening to another episode of the Femio podcast. Before you go, don't forget to follow, rate, and leave a review. If you want to stay in touch, find me on Instagram and TikTok at Femio. To support Femio and the Femio podcast, you can visit paypal.me slash Femio. Talk soon.